0: Break, break, breakthrough. Breakthrough. Break, breakthrough. breakthrough. Break, breakthrough. Breakthrough. Break, breakthrough. Break, breakthrough. You are now listening to Breakthrough News. It's five p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this. The punch out we're following the news all day so you don't have to giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be and yes we are back with you here on the punch out 5 2021 and we are very happy to be with you on this may 20th plenty for you here on the show as always going to be talking about why your mail probably won't be coming on time, at least if the Postmaster General gets his way. We're also going to be talking about Nevada blocking death penalty abolition. State Senate uh, let a bill die to that effect this week. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to start with lax enforcement at the IRS from major corporations. Well, as many of you have undoubtedly been rushing around in recent days to pay your taxes to the U.S. government, lest you be penalized, it seems like a good time to let you know that 14 massive corporations are going to keep a combined $1.3 billion in tax breaks they almost certainly should not legally be allowed to take. And this includes companies like Apple, ExxonMobil, and Comcast. And what's more is the IRS is clearly aware of this and, in fact, is just letting it go according to new research from the Institute for Taxation and Economic Policy. So what's happening here? Tax law requires publicly traded corporations to list quote-unquote uncertain tax benefits, or UTBs, which they are claiming but do not believe they actually really qualify for and that the IRS will ultimately disallow. That's what they expect. And they also state when they end up keeping these tax breaks, i.e. when the IRS... Doesn't do anything vis-a-vis the allowal process. Now, sometimes that happens because the corporation and the IRS strike a deal. But as ITEP research has shown, many companies just keep the benefit even without approval because the IRS just lets the statute of limitations run out on the process to disallow the tax break. So, again, they're getting away with $1.3 billion, 14 corporations, $1.3 billion in tax breaks that they don't even qualify for. The recent report notes that, quote, the biggest single beneficiary of UTBs that ran out the clock in 2020 was ExxonMobil with $237 million in tax savings. General Electric and Verizon saved $151 million and $132 million, respectively, end quote. Apple got away with $69 million there and Comcast $76 million. Raytheon, the defense contractor, $83 million. Now, this actually takes place over a range of years as the legal time limit plays out. So the UTBs claimed in one year represent accumulations from past years. So it isn't as if the IRS has to turn it around in three months. But there isn't even enough public information to know if they are deeply investigating these cases over years and then just letting them go for whatever reason. Or if they're just not even really looking very much at all. But the evidence does seem to suggest that corporations are building lax enforcement into their tax preparation calculations. All the companies I mentioned above and many more, of course, listed large sums of UTBs in terms of their 2020 income. The same 14 companies that got $1.3 billion in actual tax breaks this year reported $4.3 billion worth of essentially illegal tax breaks this year. Apple, for instance, reported $1.3 billion in UTBs for 2020. General Electric, $836 million. Now, whether or not they'll get all that approved, who knows, but it just gives you a sense of how easy they think it may be to slip literally billions of dollars past the IRS. It seems likely that these corporations are just using their massive resources to claim a bunch of questionable tax breaks that they know will take resources to investigate and then disallow, knowing that the IRS will just take a pass on a bunch of it because they lack the resources to really look into it. From 2010 through 2018, lawmakers cut the IRS budget by 20% in inflation-adjusted dollars, resulting in a 22% staff reduction, including a 30% reduction of the IRS's enforcement staff. And as frustrating as the tax system is, that fact, the defunding of the IRS, is really only good for the wealthy, certainly not for you. For instance, the IRS is more likely to audit someone getting the earned income tax credit than households making $500,000 a year. Not to mention, the audit rate for millionaires fell by 71% between 2010 and 2019. So you can see there, even though they can go after some people, they're obviously not going after the bigger, more complicated cases that are undoubtedly— Related to the fact that these are huge corporations and or wealthy individuals who have a lot more resources to hide it. So rather than that, they just target average everyday people. And that's how you get 14 companies taking $1.3 billion in tax breaks they don't qualify for. And just to put that $1.3 billion in perspective, right now in California, local public health agencies are fighting for $200 million more in annual appropriations to bolster the public health infrastructure in that state. Certainly makes sense after a pandemic, right? Well, that would mean that the 14 companies that got these tax breaks that they don't even actually qualify for could fully fund California's public health infrastructure for six and a half years. Obviously, these massive profitable corporations are gaming the system for their own benefit. And maybe that shouldn't be that much of a surprise, but it is certainly an outrage, especially since they aren't even hiding it. (laughs) Despite passing the state assembly, a bill to abolish the death penalty in the state of Nevada died in the state Senate without a vote this week, with two prosecutors, who are also legislators, from the state's most pro-death penalty jurisdiction presiding over its death. The bill would have ended the death penalty in Nevada and converted the sentences of all 70 people on death row to life sentences, and proponents were fairly hopeful that the bill might pass, given that a death penalty abolition bill had never even made it out of the state assembly before. The governor, however, seemed to be against and, along with two critical lawmakers, slowed the process down with some faux negotiations. The bill couldn't even get a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Notably, the chair of that committee, Senator Melanie Scheibel, is a prosecutor with the Clark County D.A. That's where Las Vegas is, by the way. And the Clark County D.A., you might find interesting, accounts for the vast majority of death penalty cases in Nevada which is actually one of the states that gives out the most death sentences. Clark County accounted for actually 100% of all Nevada death sentences between 2010 and 2015, just to bring that point home. And notably, Senate Majority Leader Nicole Canzinaro, who announced that the bill couldn't move forward due to disagreements among lawmakers, is also a Clark County prosecutor. Their boss, Clark County District Attorney Steve Wilson, was the lead witness against the bill in the state assembly. And interestingly enough, filed charges seeking to set an execution date for the first execution in the state in 15 years, just after the assembly voted the bill out to end the death penalty. Now, Nevada, as you might have picked up there when I said they haven't done an execution in 15 years, Nevada is one of those states that actually can't execute anyone because they can't obtain the drugs necessary for lethal injection because pharmaceutical companies have cracked down on their drugs being used for lethal injections. And that leaves many states to use either illegal Drugs imported from somewhere Or homemade drug cocktails Made by compounding pharmacies That lead to excruciating, botched executions And many states are afraid to move forward With death sentences in that situation Not wanting to invalidate the use of the death penalty By being seen as using a method That exceeds the mandate for the death penalty Not to be quote-unquote cruel And unusual punishment In Clark County, which is one of the top four counties In issuing death sentences in the nation The DA routinely uses death sentences To induce plea deals They know they're not going to execute anyone but, you know, people don't want to be executed. It's the news website. The, uh, the appeal reports, quote, multiple criminal defense attorneys said the Clark County D.A. uses the death penalty to get defendants to plead guilty to crimes that carry lengthy sentences. Wolfson's office is often willing to strike plea deals after filing notices of intent to seek the death penalty. Lisa Rasmussen has been has often been able to negotiate plea deals, setting limited terms of imprisonment, even after Wolfson signaled intent to seek a death sentence. She said, quote, some cases were clearly not death penalty worthy. They should never have been death penalty cases to begin with. One of them I negotiated for a six to fifteen year sentence. Why was that a death penalty case? End quote. So You can more or less see what seems to be happening here, that the state assembly decided to pass a bill to end the death penalty. It was going to end their ability to be able to pressure people with the death penalty for other pleas. You've got the Clark County DA who files almost all the death sentences, then immediately tries to set a death sentence on the calendar, you know, to make sure that uh, it's clear to people they can be executed. And then when the bill to eliminate the death penalty gets to the state senate, two of his employees bottle it up in the senate. And it dies without a hearing or a vote. Also worth noting here, the Clark County DA's office also does many of the things the death penalty is infamous for, like being racist. Despite representing only 13% of the county population, black people account for over 50% of the death penalty cases. Even further, since 2006... The Nevada Supreme Court has found prosecutorial misconduct in 47% of Clark County death penalty cases that it has reviewed on direct appeal. So, like I said, seems pretty clear. Looks like the Clark County DA, his ringers in the state Senate, and the governor, all Democrats, just colluded to make sure they could keep using the death penalty in Las Vegas to coerce poor black people into pleading guilty for a variety of alleged offenses. (laughs) Brace yourself here because a bipartisan bill of some significance is set to pass the Senate. Yes, that's right. That vaunted bipartisan cooperation. And this time it deals with something that's actually quite important. And that is the future of the Postal Service. Seems all wrapped up in a bow here that the Senate is going to pass the Postal Service Reform Act very soon, aimed at addressing decades of disputes over the future of the U.S. Postal Service, USPS. It cobbled together enough Democrat and Republican support by marrying an important goal uh, for postal workers' unions and laying the groundwork for Postmaster Louis DeJoy to implement his multi-year plan to set the stage to privatize the Postal Service. So a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, and they were able to get enough people to sign on to it. Since 2006, there's been an aggressive attempt, mainly led by Republicans, to hobble the Postal Service, reduce its efficiency, increase anger at its operations, which are, of course, less efficient. And then, of course, that creates the basis for increased calls in Congress to privatize more elements of it because it just doesn't work. And ultimately, you privatize elements of it, leads to the whole thing. The key element of that was an absurd provision passed by Congress in 2006 that required the Postal Service to pre-fund its pensions for at least 50 years in advance. So actually paying for the pensions of future workers that aren't even born. This caused a crippling $87 billion in losses over the past 14 fiscal years. Really, almost all the losses in the Postal Service attributed to the pre-funding provision. During that time, there were numerous attempts to take an axe to large parts of the Postal Service and sell it off to private companies, UPS, Amazon, FedEx, DHL. But ultimately, conditions built by postal workers, coalitions rather, built by postal workers unions have beat back the worst of it by mobilizing the community to oppose cuts to the USPS, which no one, of course, wants, but were certainly inevitable in all the various attacks. Eliminating mail on certain days, making it come slower, all these different pieces. This bill... Finally, eliminates prefunding, just an absolutely crucial element to making sure that there is a strong, robust public postal service that gets things everywhere quickly at a reasonable price. The bill also integrates retiree healthcare, co- uh, retiree healthcare more in with Medicare, which also reduces the legacy cost to the postal service. That was something that unions agreed to. However, the bill, despite being advanced by Democrats, marries the good element of prefunding with what essentially is an endorsement of Postmaster General DeJoy's plan to destroy the service. The major criticism of the DeJoy plan has been that he's just deliberately taking action to slow down the mail, and in his new plan, he actually proposes that he is going to do that explicitly. As the union publication Labor Notes lays out, quote, the plan would reset service standards so that the first class mail would be delivered in two or three days in nearby areas, currently it's one to two days, and up to five days for more distant destinations, currently three to four. The plan doesn't say what will happen to standards for other classes of mail, standard letters, catalogs, commercial broadsides, and especially periodicals, End quote. DeJoy is also proposing to close 18 processing plants as part of this process. He does, however, plan to open up a new nationwide network of package-only processing centers with its own distribution pipeline. So de-emphasizing letters and emphasizing packages, basically. And the plan also proposes to raise prices on all these things to the quote-unquote market standard. And this is presented as a savvy plan to take on Amazon and UPS with a new parcel system that will be leaner, that is, fewer union workers, and they claim more profitable. But it's easy enough to see what's really happening here. Really, DeJoy is creating two postal systems, one for packages that get new capital investment and another for everything else that will be mainly forced to make do with vastly reduced resources and less reliable service. How long before there are calls to quote-unquote save the Postal Service that will ultimately amount to selling off the package division to FedEx or Amazon for a lot of money and just totally privatizing all package delivery in this country? And how long after that when whichever company that didn't buy the package infrastructure will start pushing schemes to buy the rest of the quote-unquote antiquated Postal Service and they will claim to be able to revamp that using quote-unquote private sector principles? So this bill, which includes some reporting mechanisms that are allegedly designed to potentially prevent this by really just sort of shaming them, right? They have to report how fast the mail is going and all these different things. And with prefunding removed, the thought being there won't be as much of a way for them to justify these issues. But nevertheless, there aren't actually clear enforcement mechanisms at the level of the governance of the Postal Service. Really, anything short of just ousting DeJoy probably means he'll be able to push this plan through. So even though you'll be able to see it happening in real time, the destruction of the Postal Service, it will still, in fact, be happening. Biden, so far, seems unwilling to oust DeJoy. Now, postal worker unions are already organizing to push back against the attempts to attack the Postal Service. And the American Postal Workers Union has a detailed plan to expand and improve the services and the finances of the Postal Service that they are presenting as a counter plan. So it seems like if you like getting your mail on time, and you don't want Amazon and UPS and FedEx to control all package delivery and ultimately all mail in America... You may want to support those efforts. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And, of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And, of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.